0: Good day. Welcome to the Corey Morgan Show. I am Corey Morgan. This is my weekly playground to get out there to rant, rave, talk about federal issues, provincial issues, mostly political stuff, though I bounce around and kind of cover whatever's on my mind at any given time or any given week. Lots to cover this week as usual. Uh, For those who are joining us live today, uh, be sure to use that comment scroll. I like it. I like seeing the interaction. I like seeing you guys chat with each other, throw questions my way, my guests' way. Uh, I see them all. I don't necessarily read them all out or put them to the guests, but uh, I really like seeing it used. Uh, used, But uh, again, keep things civil. And uh, folks, if you're watching us on the Cowboy Network or RFDTV uh, and some of those things, I'm afraid, uh, yeah, the comments won't work there, but I, I will reference them when they come up. So yes, today I'm going to have a guest on a little later, Vitor Marciano. He's a strategist. He's been involved in a lot of federal and provincial campaigns over the years, uh, particularly in conservative circles. We're going to get a bit of a rundown on everything that's gone on on the Alberta election this time around. Boy, it's been a, a long three and a half weeks so far, only a few days left, and Alberta's going to have, uh, well, either a UCP government again or an NDP government again. There's no third party really to speak of in this one. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about that as well. On the federal front, boy, you know, we kind of expected it, but still, it's just maddening when we see it. Uh, so, I mean, let's talk about that with, with this uh, special rapporteur. Yes, yeah, so well, people were, some people were kind of surprised with the appointment of David Johnston as the special rapporteur to investigate the ongoing, and it's ongoing, Chinese Communist Party interference scandal. I mean, the boldness of Trudeau and app- appointing somebody as clearly personally compromised as Johnson to the position he- he caught even the most cynical of people off guard. It wasn't surprising, I guess, that Trudeau would appoint a close friend to the position. But still, it was unexpected to see a statesman statesman as experienced as Johnston jumping into such a clear conflict of interest. I mean, Johnston's been more of an uncle-type figure for Trudeau than a political colleague, and he's indicated as much in multiple interviews where he waxes on about his fond family ski trips with the Trudeau family and other gatherings. And of course, most damning of all, Johnston was a board member with the Trudeau Foundation which has been embroiled in this whole mess, it seems, every time something comes up with the CCP interference. Uh, Look at this, like, former Trudeau Foundation head Morris Rosenberg, he was tasked with checking for election interference in the 2019 and 2021 elections, and unsurprisingly, Rosenberg found no issues. Though we know CSIS had been raising flags about Chinese Communist Party interference in those elections, somehow Rosenberg didn't see it. Of course, Rosenberg was also the head of the Trudeau Foundation when it was happily receiving donations from Beijing. I guess perhaps signing checks can cause selective hearing or seeing. Still, one would have hoped that Johnson could retain a sense of principle. Perhaps he'd keep his name in the clear and call for an independent public inquiry into the CCP election interference scandals. Maybe he would have said, well, that's just my job, whether I'm a uh, a tight buddy with the Trudeau family or not. Uh, I mean, come on. We've seen sitting MPs with their family in Hong Kong being threatened by the CCP. We have Chinese police stations set up in Canada. You know, Communist Party police stations intimidating Canadian citizens over here. Who could possibly look at all that evidence and say we don't need an inquiry? Well, David Johnston is who, actually. So after decades of building a respectable reputation in public service, Johnston has thrown it all away with his absurd report on the interference scandal. I mean, an inquiry is going to happen on this eventually, one way or another. And Johnston now is going to be remembered and disgraced as a man who tried to whitewash Uh, on behalf of Justin Trudeau rather than, uh, you know, honored for his years of prior service as governor general, among other roles. Johnson now is, Johnston is rightly under fire for his terrible report. And he's trying to shoot the messenger, you know, with CSIS, and undercutting Canada's security agency as he's trying to provide government for the, er, cover for the Trudeau government. Now, it appears Johnston wanted to ensure Canadians knew just how tone deaf he was when he doubled down and used former Supreme Court Justice Frank Ayakabuki. Iacobucci? Oh, I'm terrible with Italian names, but he, Frank as a character reference, reference. The problem is, Frank Iacobucci is on the board of the Bloody Trudeau Foundation. All roads keep leading back to that foundation. While well, the foundation is supposed to be separate from Trudeau himself, the list of members is packed with his closest friends, including his brother and his half-sister. Alexander Trudeau, Justin's little brother, was involved in garnering the scandalous $140,000 donation to the foundation from Beijing. This is a pretty short arm if we're going to say it's an arm's-length foundation. The Trudeau Foundation doesn't actually appear to do a lot of charitable work, but it sure keeps a lot of liberal friends gainfully employed while taking in money from the Chinese Communist Party. So why is the CCP so obsessed with funding the Trudeau Foundation if not to curry favor with the Prime Minister? I mean, rest assured, Beijing doesn't pour money into other Canadian charities. I haven't heard of the Chinese Communist Party's uh, sponsorship of the Canadian Special Olympics or, uh, you know, putting any money into any cancer funds. No, they just put money into the Trudeau Foundation for some reason. Hmm. Interesting philanthropists. Johnson's report isn't worth the paper it's written on. Now the burden of responsibility lands on the shoulders of NDP leader Jagmeet Singh. I mean, Singh's been talking tough for months on the interference scandal, but he won't threaten his cozy agreement with Trudeau by doing anything about it. It's time for Singh to act. How much longer can he keep propping up this corrupted mess? Does he really think... Trudeau would go to the polls rather than face an independent inquiry on the issue. I mean, if he pushed it, if Singh pushed it and Trudeau made it a confidence vote, I I just doubt it. I mean, if Trudeau went to the polls on that, it would be political suicide. I can't think of a worse political campaign platform than, I feel so strongly that the interference uh, should not be investigated that I've decided to call an early election. That would be the end of Trudeau, finally. Singh's NDP pace, they must be tired of his constant capitulation to Trudeau. I mean, cooperative agreements are one thing, but propping up a government with strong whiffs of corruption emanating from it is another. This sort of cover-up is an issue so serious it never should have happened with a majority government. Never mind a minority one. If Singh doesn't step up to do his job and force an independent inquiry, his character is clearly as corrupted as Trudeau's is. Enough is enough, Jagmeet. Get off your butt. Quit being the yappy, toothless chihuahua. And actually do your job. Well, that's what's got me going on that today, guys. Yeah, who knows? You know, seeing his talking. You know, oh, this is bad. We need an inquiry. We need an inquiry. Well, guess what? You're standing there. You've got your hand on the handle to force an inquiry, Jagmeet. You're the only one who can do it. So enough talk. Either call it or just admit that you're just Trudeau's little boy. All right. Well, let's talk some uh, other news and bring somebody in who has to cover this all the time. That's our news editor, Dave Naylor. We'll check in and see else what's going on in that big, bad world. Hey, how's it going, Dave?
1: Good, Corey. Good to see you with an you election haircut. Getting ready yeah. for the big day. I'm good for another few months now. Hey, so I need to know, am I gonna get some fresh honey this year or what?
0: We'll see, that's up to that bloody bear. But I tell you, these are really good bees. I, I inspected them last weekend and, and they're settling in really well. I'm really happy with them. So, uh, And I have put a lot of electric fencing up. So
1: I, I'll give it good odds that you're gonna get some honey this year. Awesome, be looking forward to it. Uh, yeah, we've had to have a busy morning already, election wise, uh, UCP leader, Daniel Smith, just wrapped up a press conference. Uh, about uh, 15 minutes ago where she said basically, read my lips, no new taxes. Uh, She said her first uh, job, uh, if she gets elected is to put in uh, Bill 1, the Taxpayer Protection Act, which would uh, prevent uh, future tax increases without a a referendum. Uh, Interesting story on uh, the NDP candidate in uh, Airdrie. Uh, it turns out he actually argued in front of the Supreme Court of Canada against the, uh, or for, excuse me, for, in support of the No More Pipelines Act. Uh, so that uh, uh, probably isn't sitting well to many of, uh, of his uh, cons- or potential constituents. The, uh, the big fireworks controversy in Calgary, uh, Corey, which uh, I think you basically broke the story with a column. Uh, it's still uh, still gathering steam uh, people very angry. More than 10,000 people have now signed a petition uh, demanding that uh, the fireworks be returned. Uh, They were cancelled as part of uh, Truth and Reconciliation and uh, Toronto has cancelled their fireworks in front of uh, Nathan Phillips Square. So that seems to be the thing to do for uh, Canada Day across the country this year. Uh, And we've got uh, two men up uh, in uh, way up in Northern Alberta charged with uh, uh, burning down a historic Catholic church this week, a uh, church built in 1901 uh, near uh, high level, I believe it is, uh, burnt to the ground, and uh, uh, they've been charged. And we've got our real estate expert, Mike Thomas, uh, uh, with a column on the Bank of Canada. Uh, you know, the story being, is it going to increase rates again in its next June update or keep them the same? So, uh, really busy morning, Corey, and I'm sure it's going to. Uh, keep going because the news never stops.
0: It certainly doesn't, especially during election times. Well, I'll uh, let you get back at it, Dave, and thanks for the update. You
1: bet, Corey. Thanks.
0: on. That is our news editor, Dave Naylor. As you can see, the stories are coming hard and fast and quickly. And yes, uh, for some folks, you might realize that some of the stories at the Western Standard news are behind a paywall. That's because we don't take any government funding, not at all. We rely on you guys. That's why we put out stories that reflect what you guys want to see. Yeah, not necessarily. Sometimes you see stories that just take you off, but we put out the stories, and we put out the news, and we put out the truth. Nine ninety nine a month, guys. That keeps us from having to ever take any government funding. Ninety nine dollars for a year, and you get past that paywall, and you can see all of that stuff. And I tell you, the stories are, are just constantly breaking and coming out. It's it's hard to keep up with. So yeah, let's look at some of the comments here. Uh, you know, uh, Paradox-y, uh saying, yeah, you know, anybody. With their eyes in the Trudeau Foundation knew this was coming, like that foundation is just something else, right? Like, you know, I, I the, the name is right in it, you can't hide from it. And they keep saying it's just a charity, it's just a charity. I, I believe now I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it was a, a few years in a row, it didn't like it to remain charitable status to retain it. You have to spend a certain percentage, like it's not a lot, like four or five percent of your capital on the actual charity it's supposed to do. And the foundation hasn't made it three out of four of the past years, I believe. Where's all this money going? It was given 125 million tax dollars to start up and it's getting other donations and other Chinese money and who knows what. Well, again, when you look at that giant list of directors, look at them all, a who's who of liberal Canada, of the Laurentian elite. They're all on these directorships. I don't know what they get paid. I don't know what benefits they get from that. But uh, I suspect that uh, that gives a bit of an answer to where all that money just keeps going. So if you want to keep the liberal elite in Canada happy, if you want to get in their good books, if you want to make them smile at you, what's the best place to toss a few bucks to make the most bang for your buck? Well, that foundation's a good start, isn't it? So... um, Yeah, Marilyn, you know, so she's a, a commenter. Marilyn Wall says, Danielle avoided a question. It's Danielle Smith at a press conference today on the fireworks uh, just now. I believe it was Western Standard asked it. Do you think she should avoid talking about it right now? Uh, yeah, I do think she should. From a political point of view, I'm going to talk about it a little more after the, the guest because I got a lot of ranting to do on that one. But uh, politically, it's a municipal issue in the city of Calgary, and she's four days from voting day. Uh, I believe it was wise on uh, Smith's part to stay out of that issue. she's got enough issues and things to juggle as it stands right now. And I understand it was the Western standard to throw that question out there, but why take on more than you need to? It is an enraging municipal issue and I'm going to go on about it, but, uh, for for premier smith to, to wade into it at this point was would have just been asking for more trouble than uh than was worth so she sort of uh, you know the, the question was asked in two parts there were two questions she answered one of the questions and sort of uh, le- you know just uh, didn't answer anything at all when it came to the fireworks one i can understand why and uh, you know we can leave the ranting about that sort of thing to me as i said when when i'm finished with our guest i'm going to rant a bit more on that whole canada day issue but uh, I can understand why the provincial campaigners just don't want to touch that. They, they've got enough on the go as it is uh, rather than than go wading into what's happening on the, the municipal front. And I mean, municipal politics as crazy as our provincial ones look, they make provincial politics look sane. Uh, at least we'll have two more years before we have to deal with that election. Uh, Verna commenter, uh, Lowen pointing out the church burn was near high, high prairie. Yeah. I, I um, heartbreaking it was a catholic church i think it was Gruard was the community it was near i used to do some work up in the oil field up that way and it was a historical church and it's, it's a terrible terrible waste this this division uh that some people have felt and since to do these sorts of things uh has been terribly destructive i'm glad they at least have caught well theoretically the the, the people involved in it and, and they can be brought to justice it's uh, it's not the way to deal with issues guys you know, burning things. I mean, you put uh, first responders at risk. You, you you harm historical properties, and and it's just this. This country is just in a terrible, divided state. Sometimes, but we'll see if that unfolds. And of course, we'll be reporting on that as we get more information and, and news with what's going on to it. So, again, as I said earlier, he it looks like he's on deck. We're going to bring in our guest, Vitor Marciano. As I said, he's been a, involved in politics for for quite some time, uh, federally and provincially, uh, predominantly in conservative circles. And we just want to get a a rundown of this this whole provincial campaign now that we're in week three so hi there Vitor. thanks for uh joining us today
2: thank you for having me Corey. it's uh my pleasure to be here
0: yeah so i mean i i know at least it's probably for you and uh definitely for me I, i'm really looking forward to a few days from now because this, this campaign has already just been so
2: exhausting um it, I, these things I mean, are long i mean it's uh you know at least it's a provincial one it's only 28 days not not the federal 35 day one uh I have to admit, I've been going hard at it since a little bit before day one. And I'm a little fatigued, but uh, also a little excited about the opportunities.
0: Well, that's true. I mean, that's kind of what, you know, politicals live for. This is like the Super Bowl when you're getting to it. You've been prepping and prepping for a long time, and this is the big culmination. So there's a lot of excitement going in at this point. Uh, So something that's been – is it a perception thing or not, I guess you could say? A lot of people, and including myself, kind of got a feel that this one was more – vitriolic than usual, a little more personal than l- usual. But I mean, we always say that every election. Is it a perception or is it really getting worse every time?
2: Oh, no, it's, it's pretty intense. Um, the, um, the, the partisans on both sides are, are, are pretty ramped up. They view the stakes as pretty high. And so there's, a, you know, if, uh, if you're a, a left-wing activist, it's something you've been working on for four years and they're really lit up and ready to go. Um, there's an awful lot of people sort of who are new to politics, uh, uh, who are voting UCP, who are kind of new to the entire process and they got lit up and worked up, uh, by the pandemic. So they're really keen to go. Um, there's been, you know, there's been fewer voices in the middle. The other thing that's happened in Alberta is that literally, you know, we've become a two party state. So there isn't a middle party that's sitting in the middle, shooting at both sides. So the, uh. edges become a little bit more frayed. Yeah and I wanted to get
0: to that you know this is the first time in a long long time we've really actually had a a two-party election there's always been a third party maybe never a you know rarely a contender for winning the election but definitely a contender for a number of seats and and possibly determining uh, the outcome if only as a spoiler and this time, there's just two. So, I mean, people talk about the polarity, but when you only have two
2: large options, uh, polarity is inevitable almost. It, it, it really is. And frankly, the, the Liberal Party of Alberta has ceased to exist as a meaningful entity. The Alberta Party remains some sort of weird debating society that can't find candidates. Um, you know, uh, the, the, the fringe parties have become fringier and fringier and fringier and now, you know, fight each other out for weird things like there's... Uh, uh, there are so many of them, and it's like they can't—they can't assemble enough people to, to 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 get along with each other, let alone be a, a legitimate force in the, in the election. So, it basically, it is the center-right party and the center-left party. And uh, as these things play out, uh, you know the activists are always on the left and the right, rather than the center part of those two parties. So it's been—it's been a pretty intense campaign.
0: Yeah, so, so something I kind of worry about, I guess, is, is a consequence. And there's nothing that uh, parties and activists can kind of do about it. But what I see growing when I talk to non political people, and it's something I really hate to hear from apathy, I, I don't like hearing from people in general. But what I'm hearing now is cynicism. And boy, that's a dangerous attitude to, to see growing. It's not good for any of us when, when people become sour on the entire process like this. I, I hope we don't cause more damage than good in this election.
2: Listen, I mean, this election is going to be what it's going to be. Um, there is some value to after the election, you know, uh, the, the the side that wins. And it's. I honestly believe it's going to be our side. We have to do a little bit of reaching out. Uh, you know, there are people on the center left who aren't too far from the people who are on the center part of the center right. And uh, and we have to be a government for all Albertans. Um, in, you know, in the long run, there's no value in antagonizing your opponents to the level that uh, that they'll walk across broken glass to fight you. And uh, so these are the things that, uh, that you know, that will be part of uh, what uh, Premier Daniel Smith will have to do starting, you know, uh, May 31st or May 30th.
0: Yeah, and, and the days are, are, are approaching quickly. So I imagine as far as the campaign goes, we, we saw another press conference today with a, uh, a vow from Premier Smith to uh, – you know, not raise any taxes with anything shy of a referendum. But I I don't anticipate there's going to be a lot of uh, big promises or developments in the the campaign at this point. I mean, it's kind of into a maintenance mode, hoping there's no any explosions or things blowing up until voting day and and focusing on the the get-out-the-vote campaigns.
2: Well, there's a lot of get-out-the-vote activity happening already. Um, There'll be lots of reinforcing of messages talking about things that matter. Um, You know, I know that we're going to keep talking about the fact that uh, the massive ndp tax hike is an investment killer uh, it's it's investment that has uh turned the alberta economy around money coming in from other parts of the world the global companies choosing to expand in alberta um we can't lose that so we'll be talking about those things um there'll be lots of sort of reinforcement of message a lot of get out the vote effort i mean we saw it yesterday uh literally you know an all-time record for the first day of advanced polls in voting I can tell you that they're going strong already today. Um, you know, I can also tell you that we're pretty happy with our results. Uh, a disproportionate number of those people who have voted early are people that we know uh, have been supporters of the party over the course of their lifetime. So um, we're, we're feeling good about that.
0: Right, And I mean, it's, it's kind of a, it's been kind of slowly building and developing, but the advanced voting is, is getting bigger and bigger as a factor in elections. I mean, now it's more of an election week rather than election day with an exception prior to it. I, I think it's really aiding with turnout, though. I mean, it, if it's impractical on one day for a person to vote, they could vote on another. Uh, you know, turnouts have always been sort of slowly dropping over the years. But now these this advanced uh, sort of thing has, has really turned that over. I, I think it's a great development.
2: I, I think it's It's an interesting way to get people to pay more attention, to be more uh, respectful of their time and their attention. Uh, It also has the effect of changing the nature of the campaigning. You you don't get late election surprises anymore because, frankly, uh, by this weekend, a significant proportion of the ballots will already be in the box.
0: Yeah. So one of the things that we we see it, you hear it on social media. Unfortunately, I mean, uh, it it can be a breeding ground for for misinformation. We're, We're well aware of that. Uh, I've participated in a lot of elections. I like our system, the the ability to have scrutineers, things like that. Like the, 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 There's no evidence that
2: anything is going to be untoward in, the, in this so far. I mean, people can trust it, the results. It's going to be fine. Uh, the, the number one thing that, that people need to understand that we don't have the American problem. All of our votes are happening on paper. There's an actual physical paper trail that you can check. And uh, we, we're just not going to have that problem. Uh, we've... We've got a reasonably good system. We haven't had a, a long tradition of voter fraud. I mean, in the States, there are literally places in, in the United States where everybody knows that voter fraud happens. It's expected, you know, lots of the major cities, uh, some of them that have been run by one party for 80, 100 years. Uh, that, that's not how we do elections. We have an independent agency. We use paper, we have scrutineers. Um, you can have a high degree of confidence but the vast, vast majority of the election fights will be completely legit. Is there always somebody trying to cheat a little bit? Yeah. You know, maybe one vote out of every 10,000 on average is dubious, but it's a rare election where one vote out of 10,000 matters.
0: Yeah, that's it. And I just want to reassure, like I said, my fear is cynicism, and, and, and I just like to let people know if they haven't participated in these things, haven't dealt with elections Alberta. I mean, of, of all bureaucracies, ones I've always found to be pretty good and impartial, actually, is elections Alberta. They take it very seriously, and they're very careful with it. Uh, we've seen people try to meddle with the system, but it's a very difficult system to mess with, uh, even if you tried. Uh, there's so many checks and balances.
2: I mean, to make a significant dent would be very tough. Totally, and it's one system. It's not like the U.S. where it's You know, thousands of county systems. This is one ballot. Everybody gets to see, you know, everybody in every riding gets a ballot that looks just like everybody else's ballot. It's a very straightforward process. Uh, Honestly, people should not have worries about that. My biggest worry is that people are like taking the election for granted. Get out and vote, make your voice count. If you don't, if you didn't vote, you don't get to bitch for the next four years. Um, that's the part that I worry about is just making sure that, you know, everybody who's interested in voting votes and uh, we're working really hard to make sure that anybody who's told us they're a conservative supporter gets out and votes.
0: Yeah. And, and so you spoke of whoever gets in and you're pretty confident, you know, and it'll be con- the conservative party or the UCP. Uh, we do have a, a very regional divided province more so than we've ever seen before too, though. I mean, Edmonton, if things go the way they look, maybe, Completely shut out from from government seats, or, or at least we'll have very few. Uh, whereas the, the rural areas will dominate. That it, it's a bad position for Edmonton citizens to be in. Uh, so I mean, I, the government really is going to have to do some outreach to make sure that citizens up there feel confident they're represented.
2: You know, it's one of these things where, uh, you know, I haven't given up hope on on winning lots of seats in Edmonton and the area. There's there's four or five, six seats in the Edmonton area where we're competitive competitive enough to keep the NDP at home working hard on their seats. Uh, we're feeling quite good about the seats in what's called the donut, the writings that surround Edmonton. We're doing quite well in that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, ultimately one of the things that we need to, uh, as a government, you know, starting at the end of May after the election is work on rebuilding our approach and our conversations with Edmonton. I mean, in, in many ways, this government's been very fair to Edmonton, but we haven't been particularly good at selling that. And uh, you know, we, we've Edmonton's gotten their fair share of capital financing. Edmonton's gotten their fair share of activities. I mean, in, in all honesty, we've treated publics better than the NDP. Yeah, that, And it, it's just that perception. If you don't have those UCP government than before, so there's all of these things that we need to do a better job of of selling stuff. A lot of this is just attitude and messaging. And, you know, there's room for improvement on that side.
1: Yeah,
0: there's going to be, I guess, a lot of um, correcting the record. I mean, the, the amount of, of just stuff that's just been thrown out, thrown out, thrown out. Uh, I, the, the first period for the, the new government is just going to have to be uh, clarifying. Uh, I mean, all of this, this mud that's been thrown in this last month. I mean, citizens aren't going to really know what they're in for until they've seen it in action.
2: I mean, ultimately, I think citizens need to understand uh, that most elections result in most things staying the same. On about 94, 95% of the activities of government, there isn't much difference between the parties. On the remaining 4 or 5%, 6%, yeah, there's a difference, but usually it's a difference in style and approach rather than a significant difference in substance. Um, you know, do these things matter over 20 years, 30 years? You know, having a pro-development, pro-business, pro-economic growth conservative party win election after election changes Alberta in the long run. But one election changing things dramatically overnight, that just never happens. And and so much of what the NDP is out there selling is just this crazy scaremongering. It's like, no, uh, you're not going to have to pay for healthcare. No, no hospitals are getting sold. Daniel Smith never actually said that. Uh, you know, no, nothing's going to change on your pensions without you being dramatically consulted at length and actually getting to vote on it. Um, All of these things are are things that, you know, this election's been sort of weird. It's, uh, you know, the NDP tells big lies and they don't get fact-checked. And uh, the UCP puts out a number and there's 47 people fact-checking whether or not the exact nuances of the number are correct. When, you know, even the directionally the number is accurate, symbolically the number is accurate, as how people felt things, the number is accurate. So it's one of those things that we'll have to keep working on.
0: It's been a frustration, like the hospital sales thing, for example. I mean, it was a short video clip. I watched it and I I listened to it at worst, and it was very clear when she said in it, it, we're talking about possibly privatizing the management, at, at most, if that's what she was even talking about. And that's not in the campaign platform anyway. Nobody was talking about selling hospitals, yet the press Repeated that as if that was a, a, a. I mean, it's kind of an embarrassment
2: on the part of the media. It's uh, you know, one of the things that's starting to happen. And I'm I'm kind of a rare conservative on this front. I'm I'm really worried about the fact that we have less and less and less media, because when we have less and less and less media, uh, there's less competition between the media, and therefore, um, reporters, editors publishers get to feel like they can play games. And, that, you know, there's been a little bit of that happening in this election. We've seen national players put their thumb on the scale and, you know, offer up opportunities for criticism of our government that have never been offered up before. You know, it's, I've, I've never seen a, an opponent getting, you know, get to write a column on, on ctv.ca nationally about the Alberta election. That's a brand new one that happened this time. There's a couple of places where things have been a little odd. And we'll have to keep working on it. Um, you know, we need to return to a an environment where there's lots of media, uh, successful media, competing with each other, so that uh, voters get a chance to actually hear the truth because they get to see the competition between the different people who are trying to set the agendas.
0: It is unfortunate. And the media outlets have become almost as, as polarized as the two parties we have running in things. And and uh, we, you it's know. The more the better we don't have any 500 person newsrooms any longer where you can afford to keep a whole diverse uh, number of people to cover a bunch so hopefully information evolves to get to a better place and it's, it's better in the in the down the road you know we're just in a period of transition i think right now but uh, okay well great i really appreciate just bringing us up to date i know you guys have got a whole whack to do yet in this next few days is uh, there anything else you'd like to let us know before we let you go
2: vidor we leave the, the central message to, to everybody um we believe that you can't afford the ndp you can't afford them economically. You can't afford them in terms of protecting public safety. You can't inform, uh, afford them in terms of making the right decisions that will keep Alberta prosperous for the long run. So we're going to ask everybody who, who agrees with that, who thinks it's important to have a good economy, who thinks it's important to have safe streets, who thinks it's important to have a prosperous future for their children and grandchildren, to get out and vote. That's the most important thing they can do. Thanks for having me on, Corey.
0: All right. Thanks, Peter. We'll see what's up on Monday. Sounds good. So that was Vidor Marciano. And yes, he's been working with the UCP, as you could gather. And he's worked in politics for a long time. I just wanted to get a, a good rundown from, from somebody on the strategies and what's been happening out there not too long now. And as he said, you know, this is something when you look at the federal front, this, this Alberta election, I think to a degree, has become a proxy for the national thing. We've had national columnists really jumping in, Andrew Coyne and others. This is a provincial election. Why are you so interested? Well, it's because Alberta is sort of, to a degree, the last bastion of small-c conservatism left in Canada. I mean, actually, Saskatchewan's doing pretty good with Scott Moe, you know, but, I mean, Ontario, the the Conservatives there are are really starting to become Conservative in name only. And uh, they really want to see the Conservatives knock down a peg by having Alberta get an NDP government again. And they've pulled out the stops, as as Wendy commented. Yeah, the the, the legacy media has just been so one-sided throughout the course of this campaign. And not doing their fact-checking. And, you know, there has been some, some bs going on. Sure there has. But, I mean, it, it's been happening on both sides. Yet they are constantly on the case of the UCP. I, I, I like to mention I torture myself. I listen to talk radio when I'm on my way home. I just need to keep up with some degree of news. And the other day I listened to one host and he's talking to some guy about how he did all this fact-checking on the debate and this and that. And who is this guy? Oh, he's a Twitter personality. A Twitter personality. And you're having him on radio to talk about what he felt were facts and what weren't. And this guy even went on to, of course, bring it up and compare Daniel Smith to Trump. So you're just picking out random tweeters you like now, guys, and bringing them on as your radio guests? You want a Twitter personality? Get me. I got 40,000 followers. This ass clown had about 2,000. I mean, if you're going to weigh it that way, I mean, this is what they're bringing on. These are the experts they got. They brought on that clown, Markham Hislop, as well. He calls himself an energy expert. He lives out in BC and uh, writes his little thing from McDonald's, guys. He doesn't know anything about energy. But he gives the messaging they like to hear. So they put him on, on legacy media outlets. That's enough. Another thing that came on, I listened a little while back, and they had Press Progress and one of their reporters on If you're wondering what Press Progress is, it's a branch of the Broadband Institute. The Broadband Institute is a, a, a branch of the NDP, so this isn't a media organization. They make themselves sound like a media organization. They're getting the crapsuit out of them right now, by the way, by Cailin Ford. And uh, I attended uh, the other night uh, her documentary. Oh, what was it called again? When the Mob Comes, I believe. But she was a person who suffered from cancel culture and character assassination a couple of years ago in ways that uh, you know were unimaginable. And uh, she's made a documentary showing what she went through and what happened and humanized it. But press progress was one of the main ones behind that. These guys have no credibility. They're, they're just union hacks. Yeah, what do we see? I hear them bring brought on as jests on legacy media. Uh, so let's see. Uh, Fair enough. From Lucy Lovelock, so many NDP voters claim this was fact-checked and that, but who checks the fact-checkers? And as you say, Corey, what quantifies a fact-checker anyway? Yeah, or me as much. I mean, part of it it lands on us. We have to, and it's kind of what Vidor said, we need more media. You need to hear it from a number of areas. If you're hearing a bunch of media sounding different from each other, putting out different opinions, different facts, then you might start saying, well, one of them's obviously wrong. And maybe some of them will start correcting their own stuff. But when none of them, for example would correct themselves on that baloney that Daniel Smith said she was going to sell hospitals, for example, because it was such an easy, clear one to correct. This wasn't, ambi- you know, there was no ambiguity about what she said. It was a video right there. You just had to watch it, but they didn't care. They wanted the inflammatory thing, threatening people, scaring people. She's going to sell our hospitals. It was absurd, but they didn't bother to take the, the two minutes, I think that's all the video clip was, to, to say, no, no, that's not quite what she said. And we see it on the federal front as well. And that's what I get. Uh, you know, back to, uh, I'll just hit Sing. And I do want to talk about this fireworks thing that Dave referenced, because I don't know not everybody's around Calgary or Alberta. It's just something else. Uh, but yeah, Sing, you know, speaking of political cowardice, right? This is his quote saying, I disagree with the finding when he's talking about Mr. You know Johnston with the, the ruling. Mr. Johnston was wrong. I respect his work, but he's wrong not to declare a public inquiry. Uh, I'll let the prime minister know we've got the tools and we're going to use all those tools at our disposal to continue to push for an inquiry. And no, he won't. Because you've got the tools. That part, you're right, Mr. Singh. But the tool is to say, call an inquiry or we're going to the polls. That's your two options, Justin. That's all you've got. And he won't do that. You won't do that. It's a toothless tiger. He's all talk. So uh, no, Jagmeet, don't try and talk tough. It looks poorly on you. So let's talk about this fireworks thing. This is something, yeah, Dave said I kind of broke, I, I or not so much. It was in the paper, but it was just kind of in the back. It was a little article. Again, I'm a dork. I'm always reading all these things. But I saw that in Calgary, where they, you know, most cities, they hold big firework displays on Canada Day. And it's always been a fun one in Calgary. I remember that from when my kids were little. It was a cheap thing to go out and drive and park on Scotsman Hill. If you're a family that doesn't have much for bucks, but you want a nice night out, and you watch the fireworks on the hill, you know, for Canada Day. It's a good time out Well, the city's cancelling them. Well, why, though? That's the bigger issue, is the why. Well, because they decided it would be culturally insensitive, because there were 215 radar anomalies found in uh, Kamloops at the former site of a residential school. So as well, a hundred years ago, there was a law that uh, targeted Chinese immigrants and was very hard on them. So it'd be insensitive to celebrate Canada in light of all that. That's really what they're saying. They're saying Canada is such an odious, shameful, nasty nation that having fireworks and showing an actual one day out of 365 days to say, we're going to celebrate this nation. We're going to get together and be happy about what Canada has done right. Yes, Canada has done some things wrong, but can they not have one day to say, we love what Canada did right? And no, the woke say no. They said in the fireworks, we're going to hold this little sound and light show down there. You have to go in in person and we'll hold land acknowledgements and I don't know, perhaps some uh, aboriginal chanting and things, but we're supposed to hang our heads in shame. We're not allowed to celebrate Canada Day. And it's not just hyperbole on my part saying that because once this became an issue, yeah, the column I wrote went viral and it took off. Now there's been a petition within two days uh, a group is holding a petition, as we can see on that, has received close to 10,000 signatures. That's just in a couple of days saying, hey, bring the bloody fireworks back. That's enough. And, uh, you know, if you're going to make the case for the environment, for the noise, for the expense, all of those things, it's arguable. Fair enough. You know, the smoke, the terrorizing of dogs. Okay. But this cultural sensitivity and 2 counselors. councillors, they're the two Courtney's. Calgary ha, it wasn't creative enough to get, uh, you know, 14 counselors with different first names. So we got two Courtney's and they're both nuts. They're both crazy. They're both woke way off the chart. And uh, both of the Courtney's have basically said, not even basically, I'll quote one of them. I've got that from her here. One's a her and one's a he. But they basically said, we're a bunch of racists. If you want to support having these fireworks back, that's where they are going with this. Uh, where I'm just trying to find that quote, but she said, uh, Courtney Penner, the one, and the other one's Courtney Walcott, uh, that, uh, yes, reversing this decision would be upholding colonialism and racism. Yes, if Calgary holds fireworks on Canada Day, it would be upholding colonialism and racism. You know who we can't find who's complaining about the fireworks? Chinese people. First Nations people. It wasn't them who ever complained. It wasn't them who wanted them gone. It's bloody, woke, white, middle-class, overweight women in administration. And some men, I'm sure. Maybe there's some skinny ones. Okay, I don't want to get too specific on who's in there. And it wasn't, to be fair, when it came, comes to Courtly Penner, it wasn't her decision. She's just one councillor. In fact, it didn't even go through council, but she took it upon herself, though, to say, because it is in the hands of council, they can overturn these sorts of things, to say that, no, this is uh, important, and to, again, to reverse it would be upholding colonialism and racism. And you got to remember, the reason Calgary's city council is so woke, the reason it's so dysfunctional, the reason they're so crappy, not just council, but administration, is 12 years of woke city councils and mayors. It started with Ninchy. Now, Over the years, they keep stacking city managers, city administrators, administrators senior positions with all of these, these loony left clowns. So of course we get policies like this. Of course we get policies like I talked about. They're spending 100000 a month to try and te- keep two crappers in Calgary clean. Yeah. Washroom attendance, 100000 a month for two washrooms. Nice work if you can get it. Ah, it's not that nice of work, even for 100 grand a month. But still, for 100 grand a month, hey, there's a lot of things I'll do for 100 grand a month. Wiping some pee off a toilet seat and calling in if a fanatic's passed out in the bathroom, I'll do that for 100 grand a month. Either way, that's what this fireworks controversy is right now. And uh, we're seeing more and more of that sort of thing. So yes, Premier Smith was asked about that by a Western Standard reporter. She, she chose to dodge the answer. I don't blame her. It would have been nice to get an answer, but you know, does she want to dive into this? If, if she wasn't three days for an election, I suspect uh, she, she would uh, voice an opinion on the matter. But right now it's just taking on one more issue when you've got a very, very full plate as a, uh, you know, a provincial leader. Uh, let's look at some other news items as we get towards the end of things. This is some of the beauty again, of the efficiency of our government and, and, and so on federally <laughs> everywhere, every level. As I said, the, the city level is horrible and uh, the provincial level is terrible, and and, uh, the federal level is the federal level. The Treasury Board confirmed it doesn't know how many federal employees work from home. In fact, they said it's not possible to find out. We are paying literally billions of dollars for tens of thousands of federal workers. In fact, a whole whack of them went on strike recently to demand more money from us, even though they never missed a single day of work through the pandemic. And then we look at how well these guys are managed. They don't even know how many are working from home. That was one of the demands of these workers. We want more time at home. I mean, you got to look at the lineup. So I set a passport office to realize they sure as hell aren't working there. Well, I don't know what they're doing at home, but it's not very productive. And now we find that they don't even know how many are working from home. Yes, this is your tax dollars at work. I wonder why it's going up all the time. But. Speaking of working and not knowing things, something we have found out recently is China. Let's get back to that. Let's pull circle again and into the Chinese interference thing, because this is interesting. China has more diplomats, and it's in quotes in this story. China has more diplomats assigned to Montreal, just Montreal, than any other country in the world, including France. According to figures from the Department of Foreign Affairs. The, the, the House Affairs Committee has been told the number of Chinese envoys in Canada is suspiciously high. You think? Why on earth does Montreal have more Chinese diplomats than any country on the planet? What do they do in there? There's not even a high Chinese population in Montreal. I mean, there's many, many people of Chinese descent in Montreal, but I believe some of the higher percentages tend to be in Vancouver or Toronto. But you know what's in Montreal. Ah, the core of the liberal power base. That's what's in Montreal. The, the the power brokers, the Laurentian elite, the ones who run this country. So, of course, they're going to target their diplomats to a city that isn't even a national capital. Again, alarm bells. Now, we're not going to learn anything about it right away because, again, David Johnston, that grand old man, Daw, you know, daughtering uncle of Justin, in in, a way, and said, we don't need an investigation. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing to see here. (sighs) You know, it just keeps coming and coming. What I do think we're going to see, I'm guessing, they're trying their hardest to find whoever the whistleblower, and I'll tell you, the whistleblower is a hero, whoever it is, in CSIS, who keeps letting the information out, that keeps embarrassing the government, showing that they've been intimidating our elected officials, that they've been intimidating people of Chinese descent within Canada. This is outrageous. Every one of our citizens should feel safe in Canada. They shouldn't feel like they're being threatened by a foreign communist party across the ocean. They should feel that this country is gonna do all it can to protect them and that this is a safe haven, this is where they move to be safe. And they can't feel confident in that because Prime Minister Trudeau won't do a damn thing about clear, over-the-top Chinese interference within our country. What an embarrassment. Some of these people of Chinese descent would probably safer back in Beijing where they can hide out rather than here in Canada where they're vulnerable targets and a government that won't stand up or protect them or their families back home because that's how Chinese and other communists always liked to work. That's how Russia, when it was the Soviet Union, used to keep uh, athletes from defecting when they go overseas. They'd remind them, yeah, you could defect when you're overseas, but you know that your mother and father and cousins are all going to be thrown out of their homes and shipped to Siberia if you do it. They threaten the family back at home, and that's what China's been doing with people of Chinese descent here. We should be furious. Well, we are furious, but our federal government doesn't seem to care. What are they doing? Well, Governor General Mary Simon, yes, yes, she got a raise, just to remind everybody of it. She got a raise, another $9,500 a year for cutting ribbons. Again, nice work if you can get it. eh? $351,600 per year is what she makes. And it's all money straight in the bank because her house, her driver, her food, even her clothing is all paid for by the taxpayers. To cut ribbons and fly around and eat lobster. Nice work if you can get it. Let's just go to one thing and finish things up. Yes, in the private sector, Bud Light, it just can't seem to get out of trouble after that whole Dylan Mulvaney thing. Don't, you know, this goes back to the lessons of go woke, go broke. Well, here's a grand example of it. And now they're actually, their distributors are having trouble selling the beer. That's how fast the sales have dropped, how severely the sales have dropped. It's not an organized boycott. You know what? Organized boycotts almost always fail. No, what they've done is poisoned their own brand. They, they, they've made their brand so toxic, so embarrassing to the target market they had that people just aren't buying it. They've moved on. When you get that many competitors in that many years. So they've actually got to the point where distributors, their beer stocks are expiring. Yeah, they're expiring. So they're having to take it off the shelves. So at least the head office is saying, well, we'll buy back that expired beer uh, because, uh, you know, we're, we're sorry about that. God, guys, what an awful, awful marketing decision, whatever they made. I'll leave you all with one final thing. Check out cbc.news if you really want to be galled because there's a headline there that says, Can the Great Reset really create a gentler, more equitable capitalism? And guess what? They think it will. The Great Reset, the conspiracy theory, the thing that doesn't exist. Well, our state broadcaster is talking about how it would be a fantastic thing for us and it'll make a better capitalism. Right. All right. I think that's kind of filled it up this week, guys. Lots of ranting, raving. Be sure to go to westernstandard.news, take out a membership, support us. The pipeline will be on a little later, guys, as well. Of course, there's going to be a lot of election specials. When I see you next week, we will have a whole brand spanking new government here in Alberta, whether UCP or NDP. And of course, I will rant, rage, piss and moan about that, however it may be when the time comes. Thanks for tuning in today, guys, and I'll see you then.
3: Here's an update on commodity prices in Lethbridge for today. Cash barley is steady at 405. Feed wheat remains at 404, and corn increased two dollars at 3.92 per metric ton. In the milling wheat markets, July Minneapolis futures dropped 21.5 cents at 7.99 and a quarter per bushel, with local at spring bid for May movement at 10.48. Looking at canola, nearby futures slipped three dollars at 6.9860 per ton, with delivered buys for June movement at 10.50 per bushel. In the pulse markets, nearby red lentil prices are higher, a half a cent at 33.5 cents per pound, and yellow peas are holding at 11.25 per bushel. And in the cattle markets, June live cattle climbed $1.95 to 166 dollars half per 100 weight. For more information on pricing or picked up options, give me a call at 403 394 1711. I'm Matt Musicum at Marketplace Commodities. Accurate real time marketing information and pricing options.
0: Canadian Shooting Sports Association.
3: Without the CSSA, our gun rights would
0: have been taken long, long ago. These guys are on the front lines helping to draft smart and intelligent firearms regulations and legislation in Canada. And more importantly, educating the public about how we keep guns out of the hands of the wrong people. We've become a member. It's absolutely worth every penny.